Morning. So, I was thinking about fall. Fall is here. I, uh, I enjoy fall. It's my favorite time of the year. And uh, I, I thought about it this week. I, I pulled this shirt out of the closet a couple weeks ago, and it was green. All right. I'll let you catch with me there. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, we do have a um, picture of all of our people in India. They're all there together now. And uh, this is the, both pastors and their wives in Devaj. And this is also um, on the far right over there. That's uh, Jasiya's sister that came with Sufala when she came there, Jasiya's wife. So, um, well, I don't really know why. Just to help be there. She's pregnant, all these kind of things. Um, but it's really nice having her there being a part of this. She's also a, a seminary student. Uh, second year, she has to take a little bit of time off to work, and so she's going to be going back to seminary pretty soon. But uh, it's, finally there. it's finally good to see them all. See them all there, nice and baby and all. So uh, Jerry and Nurt are going to be leaving in uh, two weeks. Does that sound right? Two weeks? And they're taking their wives. This is a, uh, family, uh, a family trip. Um, but but there's, a, there's, I mean, there's some really cool reasons that can go along with this, that um, now with the women there in Devaz there, then the, uh, when uh, Luann and Susan get there, then they can grandmother them a little bit and, and help them feel comfortable with that. One of the things we're going to be doing when they get there is making sure that the, um, we've, we've, had, we've had a problem with um, getting, well, we've been doing this for years now, but getting money into India, and I mentioned that a few times, it's, it's, a li- it's just the government doesn't want Christian money, non-Indian Hindu money coming into India. And so that's where we've been struggling with. But they're going to be taking money with them to um, purchase the motorcycle for them. And I did want to mention um, Art and Sue have donated all of the money for the motorcycle. Um, I don't remember exactly. I think it was like eleven or 1200 or something like that. And that's the motorcycle, and there's some other things. They do things a little different in India. You have to buy your insurance for like five years in, in advance, and you have to buy a vehicle plan uh, for five years and things like that, and all that's included in that. It's a brand-new motorcycle, uh, so we're pretty excited about that. Hopefully, they'll be able to have it before um, everybody leaves, and we can get a picture of it with them standing beside it, maybe, maybe Luann riding it. I mean, whatever, whatever happens there, we don't, we don't want to limit <laughs> we don't want to limit that. I, I would give $100 to see Luann ride a motorcycle. <laughs> so, um, and then tomorrow night is the Harvestful Corners Bank. We're really looking forward to that. I know many of you are signed up, so um, pay attention to the differences in the times for the auction and also for the banquet itself. Um, the silent auction, the stuff that goes along with that. Just excited. We're, we're you know, every, you, 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 feel like, you feel like you're not moving forward in certain things um, for a while, and then all of a sudden you do. And uh, the same with the building. The second floor is finished. Everything's good. By the time they get there, the, the inside should all be finished. I was looking at some pictures this week of the um, bathrooms that they're putting in and some other stuff like that. So it's, it's, moving, it's moving nicely. We're... we're we're getting the stuff done, the ministry stuff that we get in every week. Um, if you want to know more about that, you can be at the banquet tomorrow night. But um, 
the, the ministry and things that these guys are doing is, is really, starting, really starting to move forward, starting to see um, fruits of that. Uh, and, and those are, when you see fruits of that in that setting, that, those are big things because they're hard, they're hard fought for uh, things. And so, so I'm continuing this week with God's will, uh, the, looking at this, this subject. And again, as I said, over the next few weeks, I, I, starting broad and getting a little bit more narrow as, as we get closer into this. And, and really thinking about, as I mentioned last week, God's, God's will seems so elusive to us. Um, and, and there's a few basic reasons that I think that that happens. I started with this last week, but I think one of the basic things that comes along is, is even just a mindset that says to, that we say to ourselves that, um, and I've said this in a bunch of different ways over the years, that somehow God's will is not going to be, um, fun for us. It's going to be bad. It's going to be, you can't really find it. It's like this big scavenger hunt. And, and that's not what Scripture shows us, and it's not actually, if, if we really focus in on the times when we're, when we're really letting God be in charge and, and He's showing us His path, I think we would mostly agree in here that God's will really is not that elusive to us. We, we make it that way, but it's not, it's not like God's trying to keep His plan from you. That's, that's where we have to think. Do, do we really believe that God is trying to make it difficult to know him, know his plan, to serve him? Is he trying, is he hiding behind the bushes and waiting for you to go by and then jump out, how you missed my will? I mean, it, it, we think like that sometimes, that it really is difficult, but it's, it's really not, I really believe that God's will is actually very, very simple to find. It's very simple to know God's will. The challenge is the submission and the surrender that I started with last week the submission and the surrender that is necessary for us to get ourselves into the place to know him and to hear him. That's the challenge. That's what's difficult. And that's a, con, that's a contest between, uh, in our spirit between what God wants for us and what we want for us. There is Human nature is always going to be pushing away from God. Sin nature is always going to be pushing away from God. Um, the pride of humanity is always going to be trying to figure out uh, our will rather than God's will. These are, these are very natural things. This is why when we begin to analyze God's will for our life personally, we, we think that it's difficult to arrive at. It's not difficult to arrive at. It's difficult for us to get ourselves in the place, in the mindset, in the spiritual walk for it to be easy for us to know God's will. All right? So in looking at this, some of the things that I mentioned last week, just to, to um, uh, keep in, in mind, God's will primarily for us is submission and surrender. It's not actual moments in time and things we're doing. and all that, that is the outflow of it that comes from it. But really, God's primary desire for us is to submit and surrender to him. And I do believe those are two different things. I don't think they're the same thing. I think some people don't have a problem submitting, but they have a problem surrendering and vice versa. Some people don't have a problem surrendering, but it's that submission thing. That, and don't, when, we, when we can get those together in our mind, in our spirit, and we, and we play that out, we walk that out in our life, that's when God's will becomes much easier for us to understand and know. Not, not always necessarily that easy to do sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult to do what God's asked us to do. But when we get to that submission, surrender kind of thing, that's when it becomes um, easier for us to know what God wants for us. Another thing that I mentioned last week, which is important, is um, 
Be careful anytime you're trying to figure out what God wants for you or trying to figure out your life plan, okay? Be careful when you start saying things like, I deserve, right? I, I, I talked about that with the, what God really worked on me with last week. And, and quite a few of you from both services came up and gave me examples of when, when I said I deserve and what, it, what they did with that, it always fell apart. It, it always does. This is something I think is, is extremely countercultural in America right now. Is I'm not just saying Christianity, I'm saying across the board, is this idea that I, I, I'm entitled to stuff. I, I deserve stuff. I know I picked on some of this stuff before, but I, 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 saw, the, I saw the other day a bumper sticker that says, um, health care, a basic human right. If health care is a basic human right, then what about the people for the 5,800 years before now? God did not even give them an opportunity to have a basic human right, according to that. I, I, I literally want to get bumper stickers. I don't do bumper stickers, but just like put them all over my car that says things like, a refrigerator, a basic human right. A puppy, a basic human right. Hair. A basic human right. Right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I was robbed. <laughs> I mean, it's goofy how we come up with this. Guys, be careful when we start saying, I deserve. Or, this is do me. Right? Now, I have no problem with God saying to me, that he feels like I deserve something. Because if, if I deserve something in God's eyes, he's going to make sure I get it. And that's, that's always amazing. But be careful when you, start saying, when you start thinking you deserve and you're going to make it happen. You will contradict with God's will on that, in that process of thinking. You will somewhere along the way. Another thing is that um, God's will is not a moment in time. It's a, it's a process. It's a journey. It's life. God's will is our life. It's not a moment. This is, and this is, now this is very much Western thinking, is we, we're very much like time and space uh, moment kind of things. We, we've, I've talked about this before. One of the reasons that I call the, the, um, the uh, class that I do at my house the journey, part of the reason I call it that and I arrived at this years ago is because I, I'm, I'm pushing back, I'm contradicting I'm trying to push back against a mindset that has really invaded Western Christianity that it's about milestones, it's about moments in time rather than the journey of living, rather than the process of life that God is constantly doing. See, when we take it and we put it in a moment, we're, we're negating a lot of the things that happen between now and that moment as part of the process. When somebody gets saved, let's say I witness to somebody or I actually pray with somebody for them to get saved and they give their heart to the Lord, that is... If we're not careful, we say, well, I won them to Jesus. You have no idea how many conversations and prayers and moments and everything that contributed to that person being ready at that moment. Now, we have to be, we have to be obedient, okay? I'm always pushing this. I think, I think as Christians, we're not really good about um, closing the deal. We'll talk about Jesus. We'll do the, but close the deal. Ask them, can I, can I pray with you? Do you, really, do you want to accept Jesus? But, but just because you're the one that does that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of stuff going on before that. Lots of things. There's a good chance that they got a grandma praying for them that's carrying 80% of the bulk of this load. 
You just happen to be the one to talk to them. And it's the same with, our, with God's will. It's not a moment in time as much as a journey that, that this is part of that. Okay? So uh, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1, and then we'll get, to, we'll get back to verse 2 at the end of this. The verse 1, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because he is all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Again, from last week, you're, you're, this is a life. You're giving yourself. You're constantly giving your existence to God, turning yourself over, physical body, mind, heart, everything. You're giving yourself to God. This is worshiping God. This is how you find God's will. This is how you know God's will. And obviously, the next verse, I, I talked about that last week, it says that. But, but this is how we get to it. We this is one of the things I've seen in my own life. I've seen in, in so many Christians over the years. Most of us, if not all of us, do this. We'll be up and down in our relationship with God kind of thing. And then we come to a major impasse. Something big. Now we get on our face before God and we plead with God. God, I need your will. I need your will. I need to know. I need to know. These kind of things. So why weren't we as focused on God before that? The biggest reason, and this, yes, this is convicting, but this is the real reason. Because it's not really about God for us at that moment. It's about, what, it's about us at that moment, and God is the answer for that. If it's, if it's really about just submitting and surrendering and really connecting with God, then we would be doing that more before that. This is, and this is not a bad thing, okay? But I, I've seen this before many times when somebody goes through a major big deal in life, um, they haven't been going to church for a while. They all of a sudden they show up to church, right? Going through a big deal. You've seen that. You may be guilty of this. But that, there, there is a, while that's not bad, it's, there's never a bad reason to show up to church. Um, there's never a bad reason to pray, okay? But, but what, what we do is we're actually revealing to God that he's not important to us until we just need him for something. Right? Parents, you ever dealt with that with your kids? We, we deal with that, right? Um, you know, your kids are doing it, and all of a sudden they need something. I need $10. Well, why don't you come hang out with me? Let's, ah, I just need $10. Right? We do the same thing to God. So why, why, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but what if I just... What if I just do what I think is best? What if I just live my life doing what I think is best? See, this is, this is something that's very much invaded Christianity. And, and the idea of God's will is we have convinced ourselves that, that, um, that we can just do what we want and God will just honor and bless it because we're just Christians. As long as we're Christians, um, then we can live our own life and God will just, you know, he'll just take care of it all. He'll just bless it all. And I, again, to reiterate some of that I said last week, I can't understand that thinking because if, if God knows every single hair on my head and has numbered every single hair in my head, then I have to believe that he has something kind of specific for me. If he creates every single cell in my body and intricately weaves my body together and makes this, don't you think he has a plan for me? The idea that it's just, you know, deistic mentality. We just do whatever we want, and then maybe God will just take care of it. That's a, I, I think that's a very dangerous path to go down. 
And um, this, is where, this is where I'm going to show you something here with this. Let me, re, let me show you Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. He says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. The next few verses after this, by the way, give a few verses about why it's cool to be old too. But that didn't have nothing to do with what I was saying today. So do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But here's the key. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. I did not understand that at 20 years old. I, did, I, I didn't get that. And now as I approach 40, it's becoming very real to me how important this is. Right? I, I heard a comedian a few weeks ago and he was talking about um, when people say things like, well, that's life. He said, that sounds very different when you're 25 and when you're 55. Well, that's life. You've got a lot more of life under your belt when you say that's life later. And we get those things. They become bigger. The accountability, the responsibility of life, all these, or they should anyway, they become bigger. And the relationships and how we interact and what we do and all these, they become bigger as we get older. Now, I want to show you a video clip. Before I do, let me explain. Let me ask this question. Is anybody here, raise your hand if you've read... Um, Atlas Shrugged by Ann Rand. Um, great book. I, I read it. I really enjoyed it. It's a very thick book. It's a, it's a good read. Um, really good book until like the last chapter. In the last chapter, he explains, or she explains, why she wrote the book. She doesn't say, this is why I wrote the book. She gives this uh, crescendo at the end that explains the story, Okay. Um, the, the point is, and I'm not going to give that away in case you want to read it, really, it really will mess the book up if I tell you all the ending, but, but it's a great book about um, working hard and capitalism and those kind of things and how countries can excel and move forward and people can and all these kind of things. If they work hard, they, they stay on task, all this kind of stuff. It's a great book. At the end, she explains her philosophy, which is called objectivism, Okay. Objectivism is, basically the idea of objectivism is do what is best for you at all times and morality will be reasoned out appropriately during that process. Okay? That's the idea. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip of a guy named Yaron Brook and he is the um, president of the Ayn Rand Institute. He is a strong, objectivistic thinking person. I probably didn't say that right, but um, he very much is about objectivism. And so this is just, this was like an hour speech. I just took a little part out because he talks about Christianity right in the middle of this. Pay attention because he talks about how Christianity is mythology. Okay? He says that it's mythology and it's very discouraging to him for these basic reasons. Now remember, his view of life is always do what is best for you and morality will work out in the process through mental reasoning. You can come to good moral decisions through mental reasoning. Let's look at this. More difficult to critique. But, but Christianity emphasizes the role of self-sacrifice. It emphasizes the idea of 
uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, the, the idea that, that there's something suspicious about wealth, the idea that pursuing a self-interest is bad. And, and we can talk about why American Christians have a different view, but, but for, the, for that is the moral view. I mean, ultimately, there's a Jesus on a cross dying for sins he didn't commit, and that's a moral ideal. He is a superhero, right? That's horrible in my view. You don't die for sins you didn't commit. I mean, it's okay to suffer for sins you did commit, but for sins you didn't commit, that's the biggest injustice in, in all of this mythology is Jesus on a cross. It's a massive injustice. He shouldn't be there. So, but that's the symbol because it's a symbol of sacrifice. And that's the most noble, most virtuous, most ethical thing anybody could do. Now, so what is he sacrificing for? He's sacrificing God, but ultimately he's sacrificing for other people. He's sacrificing for the group. He's sacrificing for the collective. Now, what Marx does is a, is a cool trick, more difficult to do. Then he tries to explain how Marxism is basically the same as Christianity. But, um, uh, you know, here, here's something that, that is interesting to me. The idea of, of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, is, is erroneous in his view. Objectivism does not believe in self-sacrifice. Objectivism believes you should never sacrifice unless it is specifically so that you can benefit, which at some point is not sacrifice. Now, here's the reality of this. this. Objectivists want this to work because if this is true, then there actually is not a fallen nature of humanity. There is not moral decay within humanity. If this is true, just do what's best for you. The problem is um, we are fallen. We are broken people. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, there's no hope for us. There really is no hope. And I think even within the church, sometimes we forget that. That without Jesus down on the cross, there, I have nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing. There is nothing for me. But when Jesus dies on the cross, he provides that hope. So let me ask the question. Are you going to arrive at the right moral decisions just because of who you are. Not because of the Bible, not because of your relationship with Jesus. Are you going to arrive, and you may have to look back in your life at different times, um, or maybe once, could be multiple times, when you weren't serving Jesus, but to say to yourself, would I have arrived at the right moral decision on all my decisions? It takes about two seconds of reflection, looking in the mirror, to realize this does not work. We're not going to arrive at the right conclusion. We may sometimes. But I would say that would be the anomaly. Arriving at the wrong conclusion is what we are as human beings. Think, think of where we are. I'm saying at the, in the world, think of where we are as human beings. Are we really doing a good job making good decisions? Because there are more people on the planet that are not saved than are saved. And they're doing what is best for them. So why isn't it working? Think about what I'm saying for us individually. Our responsibility as Christians is to say, God, what do you want to do with my life? What is your plan? What, is, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have planned for me? What is tomorrow? What is the next year? What is the direction I go? Where should I do with this? How should I purchase this or not purchase this? Those kind of things. As I mentioned last week about that vehicle thing and all that, 
The, the thing that God convicted me most of was I just hadn't talked to God. I just hadn't interacted with Him. I hadn't, I hadn't sat before Him and said, God, what do you want to do? Because there's multiple layers. It's not just whether I should get that car or not get that car. The, the layers are, have I even asked God, what does He want me to do with that money? What is, does He want me to do with the car that I have? You could go down the line and there's so many things. I didn't ask God any of these things. I just saw horsepower. And I knew I needed it. Instead of saying, God, what do you want to do? I had years ago, I was a youth pastor. This was in the early 90s. I had a friend of mine that um, his kids were in our youth group. He was real old. He was like late 30s. And uh, he, he was telling me this story when he was about 20 or 21. And he had just got this new car. And he knew that God was not okay with him getting this car. It was, it was a big souped up um, hot rod. And, and, and he, was, he knew he shouldn't have got this. And he gets out on the road and he's seeing how fast it'll go. And he's going faster and faster. And he said he got a little over 100 miles an hour. And right around in there, this would have been like in the 70s for him. Right around in there, he, he um, just very clearly felt like God was saying, Satan is trying to kill you, and you're helping him. God told him not to do this, not to do this, not to do this. He did all these things, and then he's setting himself up for Satan to manipulate, play, mess with his life, and even destroy him in the process. And we say, well, you know, I don't think God cares so much about which car you're driving. That's not exactly what I'm saying, but I will say this. If you go into it with that mindset, you probably are already wrong. If you just assume that God doesn't care, He doesn't have a plan, He doesn't, for, for, for you, for what you're getting, for your money, all these different things, if you just kind of scratch it off as, well, God's not that concerned, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's objectivism. That is not Christianity. That's self-focus. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to do what's best for me rather than, God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do with this or, or this moment in time or my gifts or abilities or whatever? Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. This is the story of Moses. We all know this, this part of the story. I'm going, to, I'm going to look at some things with this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Many years later, was when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. Now, is it, was it God's will that these people be slaves to the Egyptians? No. Was it God's will that they were being abused so horribly by the Egyptians? No. Okay? I, I mentioned this in second service last week. I didn't mention it in first service because... Um, um, Kai, one of our uh, guys from Pakistan, came to me after first service and mentioned this to me. So I mentioned second service, but he's right about this. He said, don't confuse doing good with God's will. He, he's right about that. Just because it's a good thing to do doesn't mean it's God's plan for you to do. This is even something that we look at in church setting. 
It's, it's a little challenging sometimes. As the pastor, myself, the board together, sometimes we have to make some very difficult decisions because this is something that, that is potential for us or presented to us that's a good thing to do, but we have to really see God because it may not be God's will for us. I'll give you one example with this. We have, I get at least two missionaries a week that will send me emails, phone calls or something, at least two a week. You understand how many that is? That's two a week. Some of you are like, wow, that went right by me. That, I, hundreds of missionaries. About 90% of those are legitimate, solid, missional organizations, groups, fields, people that need Jesus. But there's a problem. We can't afford all of those. We already, our church runs about $2,500 to $3,000 in the red every month for missions. Did you know that? Here's a couple basic reasons. When somebody says, I will give $50 to, miss, to this missionary, we will begin to support that missionary. Sometimes people continue to give, sometimes they don't. We're still going to continue to give to that missionary. If you stop giving, we're still going to give. We're not going to cut a missionary because you stopped giving. That's, that's one of the main things that I, I dealt with when I first got here and that we still continue to deal with some. Is, I want to I give to missions. We'll start giving. Our mission should be supported completely by everybody in our church. It should be, but it's not. So we have to make decisions. And I get missionaries all the time that will call me up. They're solid missions. We should be supporting them, but we can't. We don't have enough money. It's good, but does that mean it's God's will? Right? Feeding the homeless, it's good, but is it God's will for you? You should, you should be involved in those kind of things no matter what. But does that mean you're the one going down to the, to the, uh, the downtown every single weekend and feeding? Well, you may not have the ability to do that. But it's good, right? During Moses, during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. I've often wondered about this. Why did Moses, why was Moses' first response to this is, I'm going to kill that guy? He was... He was basically the Pharaoh's adopted son. He could have gone to the soldier and said, hey, stop messing with him. And he would have stopped messing with him. He didn't have to kill him. Was it good that he was not wanting the Egyptian to be abusing the, um, the Hebrew slave? Of course, that was good. Was it God's will that he kill him? No. Is Moses God's man? Yes. Does that mean everything Moses did was right? No. I do not believe in predestination. I don't believe that everything that is, that's the way it was supposed to be. In fact, it drives me crazy when I hear Christians use Taoistic mentalities. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. We do not believe that in Christianity. We don't believe that. That is not Christian thinking. That is Eastern religion thinking that we've been placed over Christianity. Well, I guess it was their time to go. I, I don't agree with that statement. I don't. That, 
That's not Christian thinking, guys. But we, we put all this stuff in here because I think the reason, I don't think we're bad when we're doing it. We're not anti-God. I think it's just easier to, to say things like that than to really process maybe what's happened. To really process good or bad or right or wrong or God's plan or not God's plan. Because when we begin to process that, we can make mistakes or we can appear to be judgmental. Instead of just saying, God, what are you trying to, to show me through this? Okay? The next day, Moses went out to visit his people again. He saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. See, Moses is trying to be the good guy in all of these things. He just does it wrong. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Which is interesting because God did. That's literally what God was developing Moses to be, was their judge. And that's what he ends up being. But part of Moses' problem is he's, he's doing it his way. He's doing what he thinks is right, and he hopes it works out. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Which it says, verse 12, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian. Apparently, he didn't do a good enough job. Apparently, someone saw. That's a whole other message. So, then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh had heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, let me posit this for you. You process whether you think I'm right or not. I, I can give you the correct answer. But you process whether you think I'm right or not. I, I really believe it was not God's will for Moses to spend all the time in the wilderness. I don't believe that was God's plan. I believe God's plan was, and this is why he stirs up Moses' heart to be uh, offended by the uh, Egyptian abusing the Hebrew slave. Because I believe that God was calling Moses to take a stand and to do something here, but he didn't do it God's way, he did it his way. Now, if you say, well, I think it was, it was potentially God's will for him to go out into the wilderness for, for a few decades... Okay, then you gotta, you got to wrestle with, in your mind, in your spirit, you have to wrestle with what sent him out there. Disobedience from God sent him out there. Murdering somebody sent him out there. So you say, well, God could have got him out there a different way. Or it wasn't God's plan that he murder the guy and go away. He was already in Pharaoh's household. There was, he already had the inside track to Pharaoh. He could have interacted with Pharaoh God's way, and this could have been done much sooner, much easier, much quicker. And here's a good way that I think I can prove this. Uh, anybody have an idea how long Moses was out in the wilderness? Forty years. How long was Moses in the wilderness when the Israelites would not cross the river? And that wasn't God's will either. Now, if you're Moses, that means 80 years of your life was spent in the wilderness because of disobedience. We always say 40, but what about the first 40? He didn't do what God said. He did it his way. Then, ironically, I don't know how much it's irony or whatever, but then Moses is... is Trapped by the Israelites in the wilderness when he wanted them to go across the river. He's trapped. Because why? 
The Israelites, the Hebrews, were trapped the first 40 years when Moses did it his way. They stayed as slaves. Because Moses did it his way, they're trapped. Later, Moses is trying to go across, they do it their way, and now he's trapped. See, both of these are by decisions. See, Moses, not to overly pick on Moses here, but Moses was complicit in both. He shouldn't have ever sent the 12 spies out. And when he sent them out, he should have made very clear, this is your deal. You're not going to see if, you're going to see how we can take the land. You're going to look at trade routes or or maneuverability and bring that back to me. Show me on a map where we can go, how we can invade. That's what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do that. And each time, 40 years, they're trapped. First time in slavery, second time just wandering around the wilderness. Because why? Moses did it his way. Now, this is where we like to soften up, and I do believe that the cross does change the story, but we like to soften up the responsibility for our own actions kind of thinking. And then we come to a moment in time when we need God to do something, or we need God's will, or we need God's plan. Now, again, God is a very graceful God. I believe he will meet you right there. You, you get your mind, your spirit right with the Lord, and I believe he'll do things in your life. But I don't think that negates all the things that we have built up to that point. It's not like life is just doesn't exist before that. And I believe that this is even a bigger responsibility after we become a Christian. I think God holds us accountable for our decisions more after we're Christians than before we're Christians. Because now we have the cross, we have forgiveness, we have grace, we have his word, we do have his plan, we do have potential for his will, we have his anointing, the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. We've got all these things, and if we're still making decisions based upon what I want to do for me, we're going to mess up what God is trying to do with us. Because it's not, again, we have to change American thinking to get this way. We so much focus God's will on moments in time. Instead of our life, God wants you more important than anything else. This is uh, hopefully this is what this was the point last week, and hopefully this came across. God wants you. That's His will. You. Now, does He have plans and stuff and things? Yes. In fact, I believe He has very, very specific things. I'll give you one that a lot of people used to believe a long time ago. I still believe very strongly, but it's not very popular nowadays, and I believe there's reasons why. I believe that God has a spouse for you. I I could tell the story of how Lynn and I met and all the different things, and there's no doubt whatsoever that God brought us together. There's no doubt whatsoever. I'm a 17-year-old sitting at a youth camp, and I see Linda across the courtyard. I've never met her, don't know her, don't know anything about her. I can tell you what she's wearing right now. I can tell you, and I could tell you, blue eyeshadow, big hair, this was the 80s. I can tell you everything thing about that. I'm a 17-year-old punk that doesn't even want to serve God, doesn't have anything to do with God. And very plainly, very clearly, I see her walking across that courtyard, and God says to me, that's going to be your wife. That scared me to death. A year later, I came back from the Navy. I hadn't, I hadn't seen her that whole year. I forgot her name, forgot where she lived, all that stuff. Didn't, I didn't remember anything. Wasn't expecting to ever see her again in my life. I show up at a Chi Alpha meeting, and she's standing in that Chi Alpha meeting. I didn't know this was the town that her father pastored a church in. I didn't know that. I didn't know where she lived. 
And I walk in that meeting, and I'm talking to this, introduce myself, talking to these guys, and I turn around, and I see her standing across that room. She hadn't seen me yet. And immediately, God reminded me, told you you were going to marry her. I'm like, you know, that kind of thing. That'll freak you out, which is why I began to run from God. Now, that's a different story. But I, I believe God has plans. If we, just, if we could just do the best we can to get where he is, you're going to know his will. Get to do the best you can to get in submission and surrender to him, you're going to know his will. But when you say, I'm going to do this my way, I can also give you a handful of things, moments in time, where I, I know that if I would have made this decision, I would have missed God's will. I'm saying specifically with Linda, including a bunch of other things. But I knew very, very specific moments where God had led me and led me, and now he says, okay, now make a decision. And, and, and two of them very strongly stand out that I wasn't even a Christian when I made these two decisions, but I could tell God just like squeezed my spirit. I got scared, broke out in sweat and everything over something that shouldn't have been that big of a decision. But I could tell God was saying, don't do this. Don't do this. God has plans for us. He wants us places. He wants us doing things. He wants us interacting with certain people at certain times. But we don't just arrive at that. You've got you've to live this life out in God. And the more you live this life out in God, you will be following God's will. You will be doing this stuff. The first thing <clears throat> that I think, coming back to this objectivism, the first thing is I think we have to recognize that we're flawed and that we need redemption. If we, don't, if we can't go there first, getting... Figuring out God's plan and will for our life on a on consistent, ongoing basis is going to be very difficult, challenging. You have to realize you're broken. You're flawed. And I do believe this is one of the things that, that uh, Moses struggled with at that point. He's, he's a young man. Um, you know, he's, he's the Pharaoh's son. Everything is at his disposal, everything financially, materialistically, everything available he's got. And, and, and he just started getting too big for his britches, I think is part of the deal. Do, you, do we even say that nowadays? I don't know. if it, Do you know what britches are? <laughs> I think he just got a big head, and I think, he, I think he thought, well, no matter what I do, it will be right because of who I am. Why else, why else did he think it was going to be okay to murder somebody? He's been raised in God. He knows God. He knows God's word. He knows, well, not God's word because he writes it, but he knows what God's plan is. He knows the stuff. Why does he decide that he's going to murder somebody and he thinks it's going to be okay? I want to do my will, my plan. The first thing, we've got to recognize that we're flawed. We need redemption. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil. See, this is the thing is, you're, you're, you're in somebody's will all the time. There's only two options, God, Satan's. You say, well, what I, I think there's kind of neutral. I think it's just like what I want to do. And that's where Satan lies to us and we buy it. Is we think, well, it doesn't matter. I can just, I kind of do my own thing. Well, something's motivating you. And since, since we're motivated either by the spirit of, of Satan or flesh or whatever, or the Spirit of God, you have to choose which one you're operating in. This, this is the concept of what Romans is about. Specifically, 4, 5, 6, 7, even into 8, this is what Romans is about, is am I going to follow my, the Holy Spirit, or am I follow my flesh? Am I going to let the Holy Spirit live and dwell within me, and I'm going to follow Him, or am I going to follow my flesh? Because those are the only two options. 
in the flesh is guided, manipulated, played, and eventually, hopefully, pulled, controlled, and destroyed by Satan. Am I going to follow the Spirit? Or am I going to follow my flesh? You make the decision. He says, I used, you used to obey the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, we, if you're not careful, you put that over into a complete separate camp, way over the, like the, the drug addicts and the... Uh, um, uh, human traffickers and stuff like that. But if, you're, if you know to do something that God has told you to do and you don't do it, according to James, that's a sin. If you know God's telling you, if you know he's leading you and you don't do it, you're wrong. You're following yourself and you're disobeying God. It's that simple. And, that, and you can see that play out in the very young children even. When they know, when they know this is not right. I've been watching this with my granddaughter lately, that um, <clears throat> she'll, we, we Skype, I don't, I don't get to see her, my wife gets to go see her, but I, you know, I, somebody has to sacrifice and stay here, so she'll, we'll, we'll be Skyping with them, and my granddaughter will pick something up and turn around and look at mom and dad. You know what that shows? Premeditation, willful disobedience. She'll pick some up, turn around, look at them, and they'll say, no, and she'll take off running. That, that's also fleeing the scene of crime. That's all, I mean, can I go down the list here? And then they get on to her. I'm like, guys, lighten up, okay? She's a good girl. <laughs> my, my son is always telling me, what happened to you? You disciplined us for blinking funny. But she's different. She's good. You weren't, right? But, the, you know, you can even see this in little kids where they know what it means to, to willfully make a decision that they should not make. Guys, as we get older, we just get better at covering it up and giving excuses and cow-cheating it in something else and spinning it and all the other stuff. But we're just as good as doing things that we know are harmful to us. We know that is not what God wants. Doing the things that we desire over what God desires and then acting like it's spiritual and other. I, I've told this story before, but it always comes to my mind. I, I was a youth pastor. A lady comes in my office and says, um, I've been praying a lot about this and this there's this guy that's just started coming to church, and I think God brought him here for me, um, for me to marry him. And I said, okay, a couple things. One, you're already married to somebody else. And, and she literally was like, yeah, but that's not God's will. I shouldn't have married that person. I should be married to this person. So God brought somebody into your life. And by the way, she was already sleeping with him. God brought somebody into your life to have an affair with on your spouse so you could eventually divorce your spouse and marry this other person. And her answer was, yes. Looking at me like, finally you're understanding what I'm saying. I was like, what? Here's the other part of that story. About a month after that, in the parking lot of the gas station, across the road from the church... She shot her husband in the rear. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. So, <clears throat> you're right. She probably was following God, right? <laughs> now, that one's easy for us to go, wow, crazy. But guys, we do the same thing, but in much smaller details. We do the same thing. 
We make decisions based upon us. He says, all of you used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you will always have to deal with that. I've talked about one of my, my closest friends I've ever had in my life. He, he just turned 96 this year. He and I get together every now and then. He told me the last time we were together about a month and a half ago, two months ago. He told me, he said, you know, I always pray. He said, always pray for me. And he's been saying this for years that I've known him. I've known him almost 20 years. And um, he always says, pray that God will keep my mind right. He said, because my mind wants to have lustful thoughts. I, I, I just assume somewhere that would stop. He's 96. I assume somewhere that would just, you just you, like one day you're just like, don't care. <laughs> but... Apparently, you do <laughs> forever. But the humility in this man and the brokenness, it says, I don't want to miss God's plan for my life. Always talking about that. Don't let your sinful nature and your passionate desires lead you down a path that you shouldn't go. And, and by the way, you know that doesn't mean like sexuality. It could be included in that. It is included in that. But that means a lot of different things. But the story I told last week about the car, that was a passionate desire. Right? But it was about me. It wasn't about what God was saying. He said, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us. You, you realize when he says, just like everyone else, that means that even as a Christian, we're still subject to, to God's anger if we're not careful. Just... Just getting saved doesn't mean that God's never displeased with you again or that God doesn't get irritated with you again. Read the Old Testament. Every other story is they, they did their own thing and God got mad at them. Okay? But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And if you... Think you can come up with the best decisions just because you have a brain, you're, you're sorely mistaken. You've got to have the blood of Jesus covering you and the Holy Spirit leading you. You've got to. That's how you find God's will. Day by day by day. Number two, God will give you his desires and fulfill them. Psalms 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. We, we always kind of jump to the second sentence in our Christian thinking nowadays. You will live safely in the land and prosper. But, but how? Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And I really do believe that this sentence means he will put his desires in your heart and then fulfill them. I don't believe it means <clears throat> whatever you want, you get. <clears throat> And I've heard people use that so horribly wrong over the years. Psalms 145, 19. He grants the desires of those who fear him. See, the fearing him is the focus. It's not granting the desires. He hears their cries for help and he rescues them. Proverbs 16, verse 1. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. What's intuitively in, in this? That your plans won't be the right ones. Listen to it again. He says, we make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Your plans aren't the right answer. They're only the right answer when you fear God. Think about the scripture in 2 Chronicles where it says, he will heal your land. He will take all this. But first it says, 
You've got to humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. Then God will hear and heal your land. You will get God's will if you surrender and submit. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. That's the story I told you last week. God really just uh, cut me off at the knees, told me this is, you're, you're, you're not even asking me, you're not even talking to me, you're not seeking me over this, you're just doing what you want to do. I wasn't trying to be bad, I was trying to do the right thing mostly. I mean, that thing had a lot of horsepower. I was trying to do the right thing. I wasn't evilly out there, oh, I'm going to miss God's will, <laughs> I'll drive that. You know, that's not what I was doing. I had done all these financial comparisons, all this kind of stuff, and then Isaac and I stumbled across this dealership, and we looked at that car, and we shouldn't have. That was the problem. God is saying, do you even care what I think? Do you even care? Very convicting. You can make your own decisions, though. I've told my kids this since they got older. I told them as early teenagers, junior high, sure, you can make your own decisions. But you will be responsible for those decisions, and I'm going to be God's heavy. You can make whatever decision you want, but you will be accountable to it. That's, parents, I think it's a bad idea when you let your kids off. When they, when, they, when they knowingly make bad decisions, I'm not saying when they make a mistake, but when they knowingly make a bad decision and you cover it up, fix it, make it okay, do whatever, I think you're hurting them, you're not helping them. When you go up to the school and you try to fix something that your kid was wrong about because you think maybe the other person was just as wrong, it doesn't matter. If your kid was wrong, don't get them out of it. Let them deal with it. That's how they learn. That's how they learn these things. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines our motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Commit everything you're doing to God, and the outcome will be God's. Commit it to God. Let's go back around to Romans 12 and finish with this. Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. You're not living your life for your neighbor. You're not living your life for anybody else. You're living your life for God. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. I, there, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There's a commercial on TV right now. It's one of the dish or, or um, uh, DTV or one. I don't remember which one it is, but the whole commercial is you can keep up with the Joneses, the Smiths, the whatever. The whole commercial is that. And I'm sitting there thinking, when did this become a good thing? The whole commercial is about that. that, that that's a bad idea. Don't keep up with anybody. Keep up with what God wants you to do. That's it. Don't worry about anything else. Let God be in charge of you. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that's really the only way you can become a new person, by the way. Just doing something different doesn't change you. It's thinking different. Getting it into your existence. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the next two weeks, I'm going to hone in more on how do you pray about God's will? How do you really focus in and pray, assuming these, this week and last week, assuming you put yourself on the altar, you sacrifice your existence, and you're saying, God, I submit and surrender to you. Assuming that you do that, now honing in on really what God is telling you is actually fairly easy, okay? 
we're going to go over some of that. So stand with me if you would. <clears throat> and again, I want us to pray this morning. Same thing we're going to pray for the next two weeks. I want us to pray, God, what is, what is your will? Specifically, if you're seeking God over something, if you're seeking him for something. And last week when we raised hands, more than half of us in here, I would assume it'd be very similar unless all of you got your answers last week and none of you have any questions this week. You're going to need God to do something. You need him to show you something. You need him to guide you and lead you. So that's what we pray about. But how do we do this? We start with, God, change the way I think. God, change the way I think. If it's something you're going to do, God, I want to think the way you think about this, not the way I think about this. Some, somewhere you're going to go, something you're going to purchase, something you're going to try to accomplish. Try to get God's thinking about it, and then you'll, you'll arrive at his will. Try to get his thinking. God, what do you, how do you want me to think about this? Think from his perspective, from his word. Think. It's amazing how you'll, you'll learn God's will through that. So, let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. God, all through this room are people that need you to show them something, to tell them something. And uh, God, I, I believe we make it way more difficult than it is. So Lord, I pray this for me. I pray it for every one of us in here. Lord, forgive us for muddy in the waters with all the stuff of us. Forgive us for just causing confusion in our own minds, our own spirit. Lord, help us just to do your will. Help us to, to get in and surrender to you. Help us to crawl upon that altar of your existence and sacrifice ourselves. Lord, this isn't my life. It's not my money. It's not my time. It's not my physical body. God, every bit of it you made, you created, you designed, and you have a plan for. Lord, help us to get to that place. And we're not going to follow our desires, but we're going to follow you. Lord, help us to do that. Jesus. Help us to surrender and submit. And Lord, I believe you'll show us your will. Help us to surrender and submit. In the name of Jesus. Not my plans, not my will, not my desires, but yours. Not what I want to do, not where I want to go, not what I think needs to be accomplished, but what you want. God, not what I want to purchase, own, have, God, but what you want. I pray that... that, that God, put that prayer within us. Put it deep in our spirit. Not my will, but yours. That I may decrease so that you may increase in my life. Jesus. And then God, show us. Just show us. What's next? What's next? Thank you, Jesus. God, for those in here that are specifically asking for something or struggling with something, God, give them a peace in their spirit. Give them a peace that you really are in charge. No matter what timelines may be in front of them, you're still in charge. Nothing's too big for you. Bring peace into their mind and their spirit right now. Bring a confidence that you're in charge. And God, let them face the decisions ahead of them. Let them face the, the things that are going on 
with the confidence that you're in charge and the peace guiding and leading them through this whole thing. We pray this for your glory, Lord God. We pray this for your glory. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for having a plan for every single one of us in this room. God, we submit to you. Amen. All right, again, I want to leave you with this. Put some feet to this. This week, anytime, specifically you that are praying for something specific, anytime it comes into your mind, before you pray, God, show me, or what am I supposed to do, or take care of this, or whatever, before you do that, pray, God, I just submit myself to you. I just surrender myself to you. And pray that for a little bit until you can tell it gets into your spirit. Then you begin thinking and praying about the actual decision. But first, God, help me to submit and surrender. Help me to submit and surrender, right? Okay. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about the Lord. He will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night.